are listening to That's So Podcast, a weekly discussion on pop culture, Black American life, and digital media. It's your hump day antidote or a pre-game cocktail hour. But remember this major key, hydrate and be sure to tweet hashtag cultural IQ to share insights and the best moments from the show. Now, stay tuned for your culture OG and trap whisperer host, D. Nyree. Hey everybody, Denitria here and welcome to That's So Podcast. If this is your first time listening, thank you for coming. If this is your second, third, or fourth time listening, thank you for coming back. So That's So Podcast is produced every Wednesday for your enjoyment. The show notes can be found at www.thatsopodcast.com. Come back off it and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also find me on Twitter at DNIRE and Get Cultural IQ on Facebook. Other than that, all links are available in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today we are talking about building up your credit and lots of other things like surrounding just being fiscally sound. It's something that I've struggled with in the past, both as an individual and as an entrepreneur. And I have someone on today that brings a very unique perspective to that. So I'd like to introduce you to Nicole Sanchez, the founder of eCredit Hero. Thank you so much, Demetria. It's great to kind of be able to chat with you and, you know, kind of share this information with your audience. A little bit about my my company. My company is eCredit Hero. We are a tech startup and we help people repair their credit completely for free. We do that by, we're basically free credit repair. So if you have any negative items, medical bills, collections, um, late payments, student loans, we will help um, dispute those items completely for free. It's an online service. Um, all you have to do to, to sign up is to text and I'll give us a shout out. You can text FIX, F-I-X to 646-891-4376. I'll repeat that at the end of this, just in case anyone has questions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're a tech startup that's backed and really our objective is to help you. Um, the vast majority of Americans, 56% have subprime credit. Um, and so people a lot of times feel ashamed if, you know, they they had a life situation that comes up that kind of set them back. And we are a company that's really here to help you get back on track um, and repair and rebuild your credit. I'm definitely one of those people, like, you know, the majority of my bad credit, it's things everybody has on their credit report, student loans, sometimes tax stuff. And a lot of my things came from when I was in college and, you know, they would come around to the schools. They set up these booths where they give you free T-shirts, sodas and food, you know, all things that college students don't have. We don't have clothes. We don't have money to buy food. We don't have anything. So, you know, you sign up for a Discover card. You get this $1,500 limit, 2000 if you were lucky. And then next thing you know, you're outfitting your entire dorm room that you're going to live in for, you know, probably just one semester because you hate your roommate. And (laughs) now you have shitty credit and all you have to show for it is a raggedy futon and empty two liter bottles and old ass t-shirts that are not even like classically vintage. (laughs) I know. I mean, so it's, it's actually, it's crazy to me about just how little people understand about credit. And I mean, this is a consistent issue. I mean, I, I know people who have Ivy League degrees who have raised millions and millions of dollars for their tech startup and who have literally been like, so, you know, how can I really check my credit score for free? Because I keep on, I'm getting nervous that it's going to impact my credit score. And I'm like, no, you as a consumer are allowed to check your credit score. You as a consumer, frankly, anything on your credit report, there's something called the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Everything has to be accurate and verifiable, which means that if we initiate a dispute for you and a creditor can't prove it, then they must remove it. And did you come up with that rhyme specifically for a branding purpose? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Girl, you know I did. But it's true. It's like if a creditor can't prove it, they must remove it. And and the reality, and, and we can talk about this in kind of a broader issue, is listen, I have two degrees from Harvard, right? I went to Harvard College, I went to Harvard Business School. But before that, I was, you know, a public school student. My parents, my dad had tried to start a business. That business failed miserably. We lost our house. We lost, you know, cars. I mean, my parents got divorced. My mom went from having, you know, a nice, comfortable middle-class lifestyle with people who are college educated and, and you know, could go on vacations to 
having to work two jobs, even if she had a master's degree to, you know, not being able to live in her house. I literally remember the car that she got, she got it just because she needed to rebuild her credit. And she went from like being a homeowner to a renter to someone who has to work a minimum wage job, even though she has his master's degree, just to make ends meet. And it took years for us to get back on track. And I, I tell people I've been dealing with debt collectors since 1994. Because my father, when he was trying to build his company, he was paying payroll and not paying the mortgage. And that's what a lot of good people do. You know, a lot of good people just go through something in life where they've always been responsible and, you know, they get sick, they lose a job, they, you know, there's a fire in the home. And the system, if you're just a normal person, is not one, transparent, and two, um, it's not easy, right, to kind of get back on track. It's intimidating because when I was younger, I called lots of debt consolidation services. I've even gone in to meet folks at different, you know, like Catholic charities, was it the Catholic charities or, you know, places that had names that were not ominous sounding at all. They sounded very friendly. And then you get in there and it's like some snake oil salesman that wants you to spend money to clean up your credit report. And it's like, well, if I had money right now, I would just call somebody and say, hey, I have $50. Do you want it? (laughs) And can you take this off my credit report? Not, I'm going to give you all the money I have for you to maybe clear my credit. Right. And I think for us, that's, that's been kind of the disruptive thing that we do, or that's the the revolutionary thing that we do, which is we do it completely for free. And I'll be honest, when we first started, I mean, now we have a community of, you know, tens of thousands of people. So now people are, I think, kind of believe us, but even still, people will be like, no, but really, really for free? I'm like, yes, we do it for free. And they'll be like, but are you trying to steal my credit report? I'm like, no, I'm not trying to steal your credit report. Mm. And they're like, but no, for real, like, we'll do like one item, but then you're going to try and charge me. And I'm like, nope, nope, we just keep on working on your file. Mm. And (laughs) no lie, I sent an email this morning to my friends and like, it was basically three bullet points of disclaimers at the beginning to let them know, like, this isn't spam. This is a real thing. And, you know, it's not a bot. I really want you to get your credit straight. Don't be a hater. Read this email <laughs> and make sure you sign up. So a couple of people already let me know that they were going to sign up. A few folks have signed up since this morning. But yeah, everybody is like always a little leery when it comes to credit. I don't know if the fear is... They think if they allow someone access that it's going to make it worse mm-hmm. or, you know, it's not going to make any change at all. And, you know, they've expended time or energy and, you know, nothing happens. So I think there are a couple of challenges, right? So so the first challenge that I think you talked about is like intimidation. And when we talk internally with our team, I also say a lot of the people we've got, we work with have been through some form of financial trauma, whether it's you sign up for a credit card and you didn't know and then they got you or even a family member might have opened an account with your information. So there can just be a lot of distrust around um, finances because even like the legit companies can have practices that can feel misleading. Okay. Which is why I think what we do is like, we have a Facebook group and there are like 10, like 11,000 people in our Facebook community now. And people post every single day about the credit items that we've removed, the testimonials, how their credit scores have improved. And that's so important because we made a decision to be probably one of the most transparent tech startups out there. Like every single day, someone is posting. Every single day, someone is asking a question. Every single day, someone will post and then somebody will comment underneath, but did they really help you? And they're like, for real, this is like the fourth time. And it's kind of a, you know, it's a revolutionary approach because most companies, especially this early, would not be that transparent. But I was like, it is so important that people see what mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. are experiencing. And then even if there's something like sometimes people will be like, well, I haven't heard anything. 90% of the time, that's because they did not submit the right information. And so we can't access their account. But then you'll just see other members check them like, well, I've heard three things. So are you sure you checked your status account? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, And so that there's a little bit of evolution where we don't even have to intervene as much. But I knew from the beginning that when we said we were going to do something for free and when we were doing something with credit, people were going to be skeptical. And so we kind of had to create this community of and just of social proof, but also support to make one people feel comfortable, but then to let them know that they're going to be more results. So because that's the folklore of the black community. That, you know, anything that sounds too good to be true has to be too good to be true. Because we've been burned, you know, a number of different... I mean, first of all, we got on the boat. 
That's number one. They had to tell us something. I don't think they just went over there and just grabbed millions of people and just was like, you know, hey, get on this boat. There was a, a lure there. Yeah. You know, and then just among other things, it's Tuskegee, the Tuskegee yeah, experiments. Yeah, like, yeah. so many different yeah. things happen that make us distrustful of things that are standardized or formalized that have to do with making us better people, whether that's credit or health or otherwise. Oh, and I'm so happy you brought that up because I think, you know, what's crazy. You know, what's really insane. Like, so there's almost something where there are different hurdles that we've had to address. So the first hurdle that, you know, when we initially started this, we did want to assess a fee. But very quickly, I encountered people who were in your same boat where they were overwhelmed by debt. They needed our service, but they couldn't afford it. And that, as someone who's of the community, just felt felt really difficult to be like, I know you need this. I know what we can do, but I also know that you're not really in a position to at this moment, or you don't feel like you're in a position to pay for something with unclear results, right? So that was kind of an initial observation. So then we made the call to make it free. And then we had this whole, but is this really real, right? Which I think we addressed through our community. At this point, we just tell everyone to join the Facebook group because it's so much easier for you to just see other people who I don't know, I've never met, and see their results than for me to convince every single individual people. Like trust trust the, the community format, right? But I think what you're talking about is like, if you're in a community that has historically been preyed upon, there is just a real resistance to bleeding. And I think what's so frustrating about that, though, is that like, we will, African-Americans across every measure are historically preyed upon, right? Like, let's let's talk about me just as an example. So Mm -hmm. I'm a Black woman. I you know, raised by a single mom, public school, all that. But I went to Harvard twice. I made, you know, double, I mean, you know, multiple six figures. I went to, like, I have an MBA from Harvard Business School. Like, this is the most elite, you know, business education you can have. And still, still, I find out years later that I'm a victim of interest rate discrimination by a major bank. And the only reason I find out that, like, I had an interest rate discrimination is there was some form of class action lawsuit and I was notified and it should have been and like the interest rate wasn't that high, but I guess because I had such great credit and I had great, you know, income and all this stuff, it should have been super low. Right. And so the, I, we just were looking at like our user base and we're like, what is going on? And I did this whole piece of research around how even with the same, like what we found was like, there was a study by Columbia Law Review and it showed that with the exact same credit scores, the exact same income, even there were crazy discrepancies, even after the Columbia law professors, you know, gave them the same training, gave them the same scripts. When a black woman would be paying three times the auto loan markup that a white man would. So a white man got the best rate. The white woman had to pay 40% more. The black man, I think was 1.2% more. Uh, 1.2x more, so like 120% more. And the black woman was 3x, okay? And that's the that's the markup. I'm, I'm not surprised at all. When my mom bought her Mercedes some years ago, she ended up picking a dealership that was way outside of where we lived because it was one of the only places that didn't treat her like a second-class citizen. Right. But the difference is, and this is where we just have to distinguish the way we're treated versus our interest rate. Just to be very clear, because you can go into a place and they can treat you really well and still give you an exceptionally high interest rate. Right. So so this is why, like, I also have the community because people like initially people come in skeptical and then they see the results and then they have all of these questions because one, they know that we're actually delivering Two, they realize that I'm pretty well informed and I speak well. And I, I think they, they're like, but this chick actually kind of knows what she's talking about. But it, it's a process of trust. And, and three, I look like them, right? Because I am them. And I'm not really, like, it matters to me on a personal level when I see the level of abuse that happens in our community financially. And don't be fooled by, by like, I want everyone to be very empowered, right? Because some people will be like, again, the reason why that interest rate markup happens is because when someone looks at you, they're making an assessment of your savviness, Right. So, mm-hmm. right, like, because at this point, it's not your credit score, it's not your income, and it's not even the script. He's literally looking at you or she's looking at you and saying, this is how savvy this person is about what they are 
capable of getting from an interest rate perspective. And so I don't say like, you know, I'm actually a very positive, pleasant person. I'm not someone who believes that you need to go in there and, you know, come for anyone or be, but I say you need to be on the offense. You need to say, hey, at this credit score, most borrowers get this rate and I'd like to get this rate. And if I don't get this rate, I'm not, I'm not doing the deal. And so I think there's a little bit, and sometimes because we're expecting, or even we may experience mistreatment, we'll go to places that cater to us. But sometimes that catering is just that they know that they can actually be, we're very profitable consumers because we are consistently mistreated. And so we're just looking for it to be treated well. And we might not push as hard in the interest rate because we think that you're doing us a favor when actually you're getting over on us, right? So when I talk about like, systemic discrimination, I'm so serious about what we do because financial discrimination is like, or financial kind of inequality is, it is insidious because it's discrimination you don't even know is happening, right? Right. It's discrimination you don't even know is happening. And within our community, we do not talk about money, right? Because listen, a lot of us have been through stuff, but, and everybody wants to stunt and everyone wants to pretend like everything's fabulous. But I can tell you, listen, 56% of Americans have subprime credit. Any room I go into, any room I go into. And listen, I, again, I've gone to the fanciest colleges. I have, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who might be successful, but there are a lot of people like I, had emails from someone who shares investors with me. She found out what service we're doing. She is not African-American. She sent me this long email about because her company, you know, had gone through some issues and she had personally guaranteed how she like her credit was in a really bad position, but blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, listen, these people can be super fancy and life happens, right? That's the majority of Americans face this issue, but our community is less likely to talk about it. And it's, and, and it's, you know, out of skepticism, out of shame, out of wanting to prove that we're worthy. And so for me, there is a economic mission. There is a social mission. I think a for-profit company is ultimately the way to make massive impact. And so, you know, we we do not charge for our service. Our service is completely free, but at some point we will figure out some way to offer service or advertise or do something to kind of make money. But we don't have to do that yet because we are delivering something that people love, you know? And it's something, it takes people a while to, to get that this is real. But once they see that, they're like, wait, like, give me more because frankly, there's just a lot of BS advice out there. And we're, you know, we, we call ourselves like e-credit hero, but we're the heroes. Like we want to be the people who got your back no matter what, right? Like we want to always have your back. And that means that I will not recommend things that I do not think are good at all. And so that is, you know, that's a little bit of the premise, but it's so important that people be real about themselves. And I'll tell you this, the other thing, Dintra, I find it so interesting when we go to different audiences because we will go to different audiences. And sometimes the people who feel that they don't need our help the most are the people who have so, you know, so-called like the highest degrees or the highest status in society. So if we go to an event and it's, you know, a bunch of church women, those women are going to be very receptive to our event. If we go to an event where it's a bunch of like, you know, lawyers from like an Ivy League school, these are black people, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, or especially then though that room of women or that room of men, they will pretend like they don't need this. And I'm like, I know you need this. I know you need this. I know you need this. You have student loans up the wazoo. You know, life happens. A lot of people got laid off. But they will be like, I don't need that. That's not for me. And I think it's this distinction between, there's a gap between like our perception of ourselves and our actual situations, right? And that's kind of why I have to tell my story, which is like, yeah, look, I had two Harvard degrees, but my interest rate was exceptionally high, right? Exceptionally high for what it should have been. And I was paying more than I should have. And this doesn't mean you're stupid and it doesn't mean you're not worthy, but you should be proactive in managing your money. We as a population, we as a people, everyone should do this, but especially African-Americans, just because we, you know, historically have already been so far behind, we need to be proactive with our money. And the and the, your financial passport is your credit. So, the you know, you have to manage your credit, right? And if you have something on there n- negative, clean it up because you just never know when that next opportunity is going to come. And if you're not prepared from a credit standpoint, you can't take advantage of what that, what that next opportunity is. So I'll stop here because I'll let you ask kind of whatever <laughs> questions you want. But that's just like my personal, my very strong feelings about the situation. I think a lot of people don't know that there are things that are disputable on their credit report. I think they get 
you know, you, you log into Credit Karma or whatever service you're using to get one or all of your credit reports and you see all of the things on there, you'll see multiples that are honestly the same thing. You don't understand what a charge off, charge back or what all this terminology means. And by the same token, if you're not prepared to start attacking those debts financially, does it ever cross anyone's mind that, oh, well, I can dispute this thing, you know, and keep going forward? And potentially raise my credit score. But you touched on something earlier about maybe the the social impact around keeping up with the Joneses or maybe it's the Kardashians. So, you know, in this digital age, you know, obviously there is a certain perception that people put out there. You know, in real life, we were already kind of expressing ourselves through either our clothing or, you know, whatever kind of apparel or whatever we're wearing to project a certain image. I don't know if you read the article about why do poor people waste money on luxury goods, Mm. which, you know, ultimately was they're not wasting the money because in order for them to appear a certain way to certain people, they may need this particular status item. But just then speaking on that, that's transcended now to Instagram, Facebook, social media. Everyone has this curated life and they're essentially keeping up with or showing how they're surpassing someone else online. But at the same time, they may be secretly driving themselves deeper and deeper into debt. Right. And so let's let's just talk a little bit about a lot about perceptions and how that manifests itself in terms of kind of financial security. I think my approach and I think I've realized this, this is also why, like, I truly feel like this is my purpose in life. And my life kind of has informed my life, you know, kind of how I got here. But so many people, so many people that we work with. I mean, at the very beginning, I remember speaking with one of our users and she was like, I want to get a 700 or, you know, I don't understand why my credit is here. I make over $160,000 a year. My son makes 30,000. He are, he has over 700 and I'm stuck in like, and I think it was high fives or low sixes. What, you know, what's up with that? And I'm like, well, you're maxing out your cards, right? I don't care what your limits are. I don't care how much money you make. If you are spending above your means, then you're never going to, you're never going to be financially secure. And creditors know that because they know, listen, we'll give you the ability to spend. We want to make our money in interest. But if you start spending above your ability to repay back, then you become very risky and I'm going to be less likely to give you money, which is why your credit is impacted. So there's a phrase that says, I will spend money I don't have on things I don't need to impress people I don't like. Yes, people do that. Right. And I spent 400 bucks on this just to be like, nigga, you ain't up on this. I will spend money I don't have on things I don't need to impress people I don't like. Right. But the insanity of that. Like, what for? Why do you even want their approval? Yeah, but but there's but there's been like a few there are a few people who I follow and I hear and it there's so much as a people where we are taught you know and and sometimes I have to, we have to be conscious of the words we say to each other but I think we are told you know you have to work twice as hard to get you know half as far you have to do you know you like my grandmother I mean my mother would would every single time we went to my grandmother's house and by the way my grandmother lived like 10, 15 minutes away so it wasn't like this was infrequent we were there all the time right <laughs> we were there every week easily. I had to have, you know, everything ironed and everything had to be clean. I had to smell good and the shoes couldn't be scuffed. And it was like, I'm going to my Nana's house. You know, like, why is it such a production every single time? Right. And there is a perception that we have to represent ourselves in a certain way. And And that's also why I will tell you that, again, even our net worth as a population, like same income level, you'll have 10% of the, of the white person who has the same net worth as you. And some of that is that, you know, we, we have to spend more money. You know, they always throw out the 1.2 trillion, trillion in uh, black spending power, which is such a fluffed up um, metric because we systemically make 30 to 40% less than our white counterparts or I should say general market counterparts. And then on top of that, we are actually not spending that money on frivolous things at the rate that society thinks that we do, because a lot of our income has to go to things that we need to live. So that's food, our living situation. And if you are the least bit underprivileged or underbanked, 
that makes those things even harder to do. So you may be assessing fees for cashing your check. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a thing where it's, it's, what you're talking about is like, so there are a couple of things. There's, it's expensive to be poor and the data shows that it's expensive to be black. Mm -hmm. Right. And I said, black women pay three times as much as white men with the same exact credit worthiness. So the visible thing that people that can trace very easily is that we make less money for the same roles. But but what people don't see is that for the highest assets, right, the most expensive assets or the most important asset classes, if you think about interest rates, I think African-Americans are at least 25% more likely, it might be 33% more likely to get subprime loans, even when they would qualify for prime loans, right? So if you just think about that, like I get a $100,000 house, I get a $300,000 house, you get a $300,000 house, but every month I'm paying how many hundreds of dollars more because my interest rate, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know that. You don't know that. But literally you and your neighbor can be paying with the same credit score, the same home can be paying more. Okay. Um, they were showed, they showed a report in the New York times that showed the African-Americans um, versus whites with the same uh, collections, you know, level. They were, they looked specifically, I think the report was done in Missouri. They were twice as likely to be sued in court for a collection once you are sued, there is a judgment. The judgment can decrease your credit score 50 points, 60 points, 70 points. Once you have a lower credit score, guess what? Everything else is more expensive. You might not have access to high quality credit. And so you have to do, if you need a short-term learn, you have to go to payday loans, which have insane rates. It's, it's like this debt spiral. And that's the thing that people just don't understand. Like they don't understand, like for us as a population, that's why I'm very proactive in managing your credit because I want you to have the best access to, I believe that you need to participate in the financial system. Like, you know, everybody has a grandma that's like, I just live on cash, baby. I just live on cash. And I'm like, not really, right? Like, I, I don't want us to have this defensive mechanism where we're not participating fully in the financial world because as entrepreneurs, we're more likely to need debt for our businesses. We're less likely to have equity financing. And it, it continues to go throughout the wealth spectrum. And so like the people who are in the best position to be wealthy are still encumbered or frankly, just conservative. They were showing that like African-Americans, even at the same income levels, our net worth is more consumed in real estate, which historically has not appreciated as the stock market. But that's because we're afraid. We're conservative. Bad things have happened. We want to know it's real. And so whether you make hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars a year, or you're making $10,000 a year, there's just a, there is a culture of fear, financial fear. And so for a lot of what we do is like, we help you repair, but we also ask people, you know, our goal is to kind of empower you to be proactive and manage your financial life. And that perception is, you know, I've seen people in our group where we help them repair their credit. They'll get, you know, 30 points, 50 points. They might just get one item deleted, but, in, and they got their tax refund check. And instead of spending their tax refund check on like shopping or going out or whatever, they pay down their debt right? They now mm-hmm, realize, mm-hmm. okay, this is what I need to do. And, and I'm in a position now where I can pay down my debt, right? People don't know that your credit limit is not your actual credit limit, right? So if you have a $1,000 credit line, your creditors, the rule is like 30%. Anything above 30%, you're really going to be negatively penalized. I mean, I like to see people kind of closer to 10%. So if you had a $1,000 credit card, I would say, you know, spending between kind of 100 to 300. I like to pay everything off every month. But anything above 300, you're maxing out. So if you spend $500, they're getting very nervous. You spend $700, they're getting very nervous. People just don't know that, right? And so they, yeah. and, and if you don't know that, then you're not that, and that's a very large percentage of your credit score. You don't even know how to manage your credit. Right. Because you're spending above your means. You get above your means. You get a certain amount of credit, not realizing that it needs to be something that you can reasonably pay down the next month so that you don't accrue any other charges about it. But- right. Let's talk about Black entrepreneurship for a moment, because we don't come from the same position as some of our counterparts where they may have some kind of familiar wealth that gets them, you know, an extra boost when they bootstrap. Let's touch on some of those issues, because I definitely didn't have any money to start my company. But the first company I started was literally started on like a hundred and something dollars and a really cheap business card that I got printed at Kinko's. Right, right, right. No, I had business cards printed at Staples for a while. For a while, I had business cards that were printed at Staples. Here's what I would say, and I tell people this all the time because you know I'm there. Are very few, you know, black people in general, but especially black women in who have technology startups 
very few that have raised any money at all. And a lot of times people ask, you know, people try and position it as, as a couple things. One, it's so hard. And two, how did you do it? So let's talk about the f- first one, which is it's, it's so hard. Listen, I do not have the energy. I don't have the energy to wake up any day of the week and think about how hard it is to be a black woman, right? Because guess what? I'm not going to wake up any day of the week and be anything but a black woman. So I definitely know, but I definitely know that there are real barriers, right? And this is what I do when I educate sometimes some of my non-African-American investors. I'm like, here's the deal. Because one of my African-American investors was like, or not, my lead investor was like, super conscious guy. But he was like, you know, we were talking about friends and family money. And I literally sent him an email and I said, listen, literally African-Americans have 10% of the net worth as white Americans. So if you ask a black entrepreneur to raise money from their network, right, their network is going to look like them. They would literally have to pitch 10 times as many people as a white entrepreneur to get the same money. Yep. Right. Like that's just math. That's, I just go, I'm like, I also kind of speak Spanish. So I'm like, it's a mathematica, right? I'm like, it's just math. So if you're going to think about the level of effort that is required, it's not an equal playing field. Not even if, if, even if no one in this world has any level of bias. And I think most people, I don't, I had never really met someone who has, who no one has ever said to my face and, and no one I've ever met has given me some form of like, bias. Like I've never walked into a room and been like, oh, this person doesn't like me because I'm a woman or this person doesn't like me because I'm black. Like I've never felt that way ever. But there are things that people say. And I'm like, do you realize that by what you said, like, it's just not an equal playing field? Like, do you realize that if you want me to raise friend and family money that I have to pitch 10 times many people? Do you also realize that I am the friends and family? Like when people need money, they come to me. Right. Right. Exactly. Because I'm the one giving out all of the money. I'm Banco Popular as far as the family is concerned. Yeah. Like I'm when someone needs something, they come to me. Like how, you know, there's no one that I can go to. Right. Because literally by not being in a negative network standpoint, I, you can at least be median amongst African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Right. Like so it's it's like this insane just lack of perspective sometimes. Like I think bias. I don't think most people are biased, but I think I think many people just have a lack of perspective. Well, and so, I mean, well, that's why it's hidden bias <laughs> because they they are yeah. truly you know right. no one is conscious of it at all. I mean, we could potentially not be conscious of our own privilege, but I think it's because we come from an environment where we have always had to shift and always had to understand someone else's perspective on life that it's much easier for us to see the nuance of why someone may be in a particular situation. Right. But, but the one thing I always say, and, and whenever we have these conversations, right, like people are like, well, how hard it is. I want to talk about how hard it is. And I'm just like, well, yo, it, it's not easy, but it's not going to be any easier. Right. Unless I execute. So I can't I don't have time to do anything but but win. I don't have time to do anything but win. And so this conversation isn't helping me winning. Right. Then then, then like I we I just I don't have time for it. It's, it's a moot conversation. We don't even need to have it. Yeah, it's done. Because because guess what? If we talk about it, because I, I do this, this similar, like you go to female founders conferences and we talk about how hard it is to be a woman. But then we're not talking about what it takes to, like, you know, grow your referral rate 5x. Right. So it's just like I've gotten really selective about the way that I engage because I need to make sure that I am winning. If I win, I can help other people win. Right. If I if I just talk about how we're I'm not winning, we're not going to win. So I don't have time for anything but winning. I don't. I don't. Like the world is gonna be hard. I'm not gonna BS and say it's not, but I'm also just not gonna dwell on it. Like just don't have time. Don't have time for that. Mm-mm. Okay, sweet brown. I know. So, <laughs> so actually let's talk about two things that are random. And maybe a little bit related, but not quite. So, you know, I don't know if you've been keeping up with uh, the celebrity bankruptcy pop culture, but the latest folks who've joined that um, circus are Dwayne Campbell and Tisha Martin. Yep. You familiar? Yes, I, I was. It was shared in the team this week. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I actually read what they are, you know, what's listed in their inventory for mm-hmm. bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And it was embarrassing. Like I just, what did you find? Okay. Look, I'm, I'm actually pulling it up right now, but the most embarrassing thing that I know right off the top of my head is that their dogs were listed as worth $2 a piece. 
what the fuck is going on that your pets are listed on your itemization? Seriously? So their like combined monthly income right now is somewhere between in the neighborhood of seven or $9,000 a month between the two of them. Now, mind you, they're both on television shows right now. So that already seems odd. Like it may not be true. They have 15,000 in household goods, uh, 2,500 in electronics, 2,500 in jewelry, 2,500 in hobby equipment and $100, no $1,000 in clothing. Their documents state that they only have $200 in cash and $173 in a credit union. So they're filing a chapter seven. Like, so I don't believe a lot of this. Like their home is worth less than a half a million dollars. They have two 2016 cars that they've leased. And then another car that's only two years, you know, it's only 2014. So why do you have two 2016 cars and a 2014 car? What is going on here? And then lots of student loans, even though I believe they were paying for lots of people to go to school, right? which put them also at a deficit. Well, here's another thing that we have, right? I want to start a hashtag no co-signing movement, hashtag no co-sign, okay? Because I think I, I saw this very briefly. And again, I, I really try to be in the business of not judging, okay? I really try to be in the business of not judging because there can be legitimate reasons why good people make bad decisions financially. For sure. Especially if you are wealthy already. Right. And you're perceived as a wealth bringer in your family, even even like you and I, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're definitely, you know, we're not in the stratosphere. Like we're not on Forbes power player list. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. But you're more stable than others. You might be the only one with decent credit. Right. You might be the only one in the position. And so I think the student loans, I did see the student loans. I think they had co-signed. At least I know they co-signed for at least one nephew. OK, so so that's so that's its own decision. And, and, and I have a very strict bias against co-signing. I think the only one that you can think about co-signing is like for your own child, if you know that they are financially responsible, right? Like my mom co-signed for me when we went to college and, and that was, we were, it was actually a blessing issue. They would even do that. So I understand very discreet circumstances, but pretty much 95% of the time, I think it's a horrible idea. You can give them money, but to give them your credit, you will have liabilities. You'll be responsible for judgments. They will come for you. They can garnish your wages. It's something that you don't even understand and the impact that it can have on your life and your credit and how it can follow you. And so I just, in general, hashtag no co-signing. Now, in terms of their situation and how they're spending above their means and what is going on, here's the issue, right? And this this is a thing I talk about with my husband because we were just like, when you actually look at the net worth of our population, the top 5% or the top 10% of African-Americans maybe make a few hundred thousand dollars a year, maybe like $300,000 a year, at least the top quartile, Okay. But I think it's like the top 10%. If you make $300,000 a year in an in annual income, you're in the top 10% of black people, okay? The top 10% of white people might make 1.3, okay? But when you're in the top 10% of any population, they expect you to live a top 10% lifestyle, right? So, And you, right. might, you might expect yourself to live a top 10% lifestyle. You might say, I need to have a fantastic car. I deserve a wonderful house. I deserve fancy vacations. But boo, you only make, you know, $200,000 a year, right? If you live in California, do you know how expensive the house is in California? Like, do you have any idea? I was literally talking to a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco yesterday, and she was saying that she and her fiance, before they lived together, they were spending $7,600 on rent. $7,600? Uh, absolutely ridiculous. And just for and just for perspective, so together they earn $7,600 a month. And they're spending seventeen thousand per month, okay. just to give a perspective, not to like just stick on right. them. So, 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 and here's the other thing that people need to understand. And again, I almost fell for this. So I under like I moved to Atlanta. Okay, so I'm twenty twenty one, twenty two. I moved to Atlanta right out of college. Okay, I am very fiscally conservative. I save my money because I've never been poor, but I've been broke, and I never want to be broke again. Okay, so. We are, I'm driving the car I've had since high school. This is the same car that my mom bought that helps her rebuild her credit. And then we kind of paid it off, whatever. I had the same car since high school. It was a 1999 Hyundai Elantra. 
I'm driving this car. It's like 2006. So it's like a seven year old car. I'm driving this car in Atlanta and I see everyone going to the club and like everybody, they have Jaguars, they have BMWs, they have, and I, I literally call my, I'm, I'm like, okay, I just graduated from Harvard. I had this fancy job. So I call my mom and I'm like, mom, I'm going to get a BMW. Now I'm going to get a used BMW because I'm still cheap, but I'm going to get a BMW. And my mom, <laughs> right, my mom, it was like $14,000. In my mind, I was like, this is a good deal. And my mom was like, Nicole, like, why would you ever do that? First maintenance. Second, you have to get premium gas. Third, like, you you know, your car works fine. Like, she had to talk me out of this, right? But I just was like, there's this culture of rising expectations, right? And I would say that, like, I don't, you know, again, Tisha and Dwayne, that's a circumstance where I try not to judge individual people because there are lots of good reasons why people make bad financial decisions, but, or well-intentioned reasons, maybe not good, but well-intentioned reasons for why they make bad financial decisions. But I was like, Atlanta is the home of the $60,000 millionaire. Please repeat that. Atlanta is the home of the $60,000 millionaire. I'm putting that out there for the cheap seats. Yes. Right. So everybody has this like, and I only, I know, I know this actually so deep because my roommate at the time was in law school. Now she's a bankruptcy lawyer in Atlanta. And she'll just be like, she'll just talk about these people who you'll have people who like are judges, right? Which in our community, especially that's a very prominent role. Mm -hmm. But if you think Mm -hmm. about a judge, a judge is still a government employee, right? A judge might be making 80,000, maybe max 120,000. But they have these million dollar homes. They drive like a Bentley. They send their kids to private school. I'm like, boom. Mm -hmm, Because it's just very prestigious. And you make make no money in the grand scheme. No, to be living that life, you make no money. To be able to afford, like to be able to afford the life that you're living, you make no money. And the other thing is, is that you get into this world where people expect you to make a lot of money and they want to see what money looks like. They want to see what money looks like. And so if you are a judge, people want to see you having a fabulous, you know, baby shower, having a wonderful birthday, going on all of these vacations, mm-hmm. right? You just you made know, me think of a cultural reference for that because it wasn't, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, wasn't Uncle Phil a judge or he was trying yes. to become a judge? Yes. He was a judge. He was a judge. And There's they no were way. in this humongous house in Bel Air with three or four kids. There's no way. There's no way. Living in Bel Air. There's no way he could afford that. And his There's wife no was an educator. No way. No way. No way. No way that they could afford that. No way. Right? I mean, it's, and in all fairness, TV is completely unrealistic, right? Like they have the show, like Two Broke Girls, which are like the right. two waitresses oh. that had like this big apartment in like Brooklyn. Like, boo, you couldn't afford that. So, so TV and, Across both populations. It just sets the standard for some fuckery because it's not going to be how it really is. No, it's not going to be how it really is. But we think, oh, okay, if you go to law school, by the way, law school is expensive, right? You get hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and then you you become a judge. Like you make no money. You make no money relative to what other lawyers make. And yet people expect you to live this fabulous lifestyle. So I think with the Tisha and the Dwayne situation, why do they have 2016 cars? Why do they have 2014 cars? The answer is, I don't know. It might be because, you know, and also I'm not surprised to see that they might both be on TV shows, but they only make $7,500 a month because guess what? A lot of these places do not pay a lot of money. They do not pay a lot of money. So that's just like, they, you know, you're going to get exposure. You can get endorsement deals. You can, there are a lot of places from a content standpoint where you're not going to be financially rewarded. And so that's just why I need people to say, it's like, I tell people, you need to be bougie on a budget, right? Bougie on a budget. You can have nice things, but you need to live within your means. Like my husband and I, we went and got massages last week. You know how much we paid? $20. $20 a person because we went to a massage school. And they didn't even accept tips. I love to tip. I'm a big believer in tips. I get my hair done. You know where I go get my hair done? The beauty school, right? My wash and press costs $10, okay? And I give the girl a five because she does a nice job. $15 for my wash and press. The only reason I believe you is because I know you and I know your hair and I know you know what to do. But anybody else had been on this podcast and said that, I would have been like, get out of here. <laughs> but that's the thing. The thing is you have to like, listen, And that's the thing, like as an entrepreneur, yes, I have to be publicly visible multiple times, but you have to 
if you're going to make it in this world, you cannot get caught up. You cannot get caught up because I also think if I want to sustain this company and I want to grow this business, I have to be bougie on a budget, right? I can't be thinking, oh, I'm going to spend $150 or I can't go to these expensive dinners. I cannot Mm -hmm. like... You have to be realistic about where you are in life and the sacrifices you're willing to make. And I will tell you, the only reason that my husband and I had the freedom to do what I'm currently doing is that when even when we made like $400,000 a year, okay, we live like we made 40. We live like we make, like I don't even go, when I go to Chipotle, I'm like, I made a quote, I was like, no guac, right? (laughs) No guac. Like if you you get guac at Chipotle, like you're not ready. You are not ready. Because that's raining money. It's raining money. First of all, when I go to Chipotle, I don't even get a burrito. I get two tacos. I get two tacos. Did you know you could get two tacos? Most people don't know that, right? Like Chipotle for me is an indulgence. I'm like, McDonald's is a dollar, right? So, So people, you know, and people are like, oh, well, you can't get guac at Chipotle. I'm like, but I can, I could not take a salary for years and be fine. For years and be fine. So that is like, that is a little bit of like the way that we define wealth, right? These outward signs of, do you have the red bottoms? Do you have the Louis Vuitton? Do you have the fancy car, right? But like, I saw someone posted in a group. They were like, you know what? I've decided that I'm not going to buy things from, from countries I've never been to. Interesting. And I was like, that's the most thoughtful thing. Like, I'm not going to, cause someone was like, I feel like I need to treat myself. Should I get this Louis Vuitton back? And they were like, and the girl responded. She was like, I decided I'm not going to buy things for countries that I've never been to. And like, it's so real. Like I don't get guac at Chipotle, but I went to Miami and the flight was $84 round trip. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and you had all the guac and margaritas that you could stand. I mean, and like, it was like, I was in Miami posting, having a fabulous time, $84 round trip friend. So I, you know, people like you can live, I, you know, I, I, I have my own, I don't even really have my own Instagram. It's, it's just like a couple of pictures, but it's like, it's all around being bougie on a budget. Cause I just think we get so caught up on living this life and we go into massive amounts of debt and we put an immense amount of pressure and we build no wealth and we mess up our credit. And we really, like I said, I'm not going to judge an individual situation, but you really got to manage that right. Perception versus reality. And ultimately it's about self-worth. And how do you kind of connect? So that's so that's kind of my perspective on that. You know, sixty thousand dollar millionaire is a is a disease that we need to tackle. We definitely need to cure it. Yeah. So cure. yeah, I have one more thing about. Wait, what did you just say? Perception versus reality. Perceptions of wealth. Yeah. So we don't have to get too deep about this, but you know, the Panama Papers have been exposed and leaked. Leaked. So when I read about that, my first. Anybody who knows me knows that like I've always been entrepreneurial. And one of my first entrepreneurial ideas was that I wanted to have money in a bank overseas. So my, a friend of mine, her mom was an accountant. And I would call her mom all the time with all these questions like, so if I wanted to put my money in a bank or if I wanted notes in this currency, da, 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 what, what would I need to do? How do I make this legal? How do I keep the government out of my business? Right. And so on and so forth. And to this day, like, you know, her mom, bless her, um, has Alzheimer's. But that is the defining thing that she remembers about me is that I was always up to something and had some harebrained scheme on how I was going to make money and have this business and was always printing off all this shit from online that I read about starting accounts. Right. So what are your thoughts on the Panama Papers? So here's the most important thing that I learned about money and really not even about money, just about wealth. So you know, I was a middle-class kid, right? And I think if you, the thing, I was a middle-class kid who, whose family struggled, especially when I was in high school. And ultimately I, I, I got, a friend kind of dared me to apply to Harvard. I did not think I would get in and I went. And when I learned about going to Harvard, it was the first time I was really surrounded by the elite of the world. And I, I got this sense of how money and power really works. And so what I would say is like, I realized that you know, if you're poor, you often feel like the system is stacked against you. And in many ways it is. It is, you know, the laws, the systems, infrastructure, they're not designed to serve you well, right? Mm-hmm. I think if you're middle class, you think the laws, you understand the laws, you have agency, you feel like, okay, this will, this is what I need to do to get this done, right? These are the rules. I understand the rules. I expect them to apply to me. If I call a cop, if something illegal happens, I feel comfortable calling a cop and I think that he will write this down. And if he doesn't write this down, I'll ask for his badge number. But I feel like there's there's laws within the system. 
And then I realized after being surrounded by rich people is that rich people just make the rules, right? They're like, oh, I just make them, right? And I think- Exactly. I didn't even realize this until my senior year of college, but I was just like, you know, I was a middle-class kid. Like there's a deadline. I have to write my paper by the deadline. Even if there's three papers with the same deadline, you have to kill yourself. And I didn't realize until like my last year of college that everybody else just would ask for extensions and they would just get A's. I'm like, what is going on? Because they were, they grew up in a system where you can make the rules. If the rules don't suit you, you have flexibility. And so when I think about the Panama Papers, when I think about offshore accounts, and when I think about just frankly, what we do with eCredit Hero, I'm like, listen, Donald Trump has never gone personally bankrupt, Right. He has lost billions of dollars in deals, but he has never gone personally bankrupt, right? And so what our service does, it is equalizes for the majority of Americans, right? 56% of Americans have subprime credit. We are, we are there, you know, we are like the Donald Trump like squad, right? Like we have the, the backing of all, you know, we understand the laws, we understand how to navigate the process. And we do that for our people because it's an equalizer, right? Why can't the vast majority of Americans have someone who really has their back from a financial standpoint? So when I and so when I think about the, the Panama Papers, it's like look, the wealthy are always going to design a system where they can make the rules, and that's what the offshore accounts are. And I just think you need to democratize that access from a financial standpoint. So that's kind of what we do. So eCredit Hero, again, we are 100% free credit repair. We will dispute negative items on your credit report completely for free. Medical bills, legal judgments, mispayments, student loans. We will dispute those items. Uh, we do not ask for payment and your information is secure. Um, you can text us by, uh, the best way to get started is to text us. It's super easy. You text FIX, so F-I-X, to 646-891-4376. That's Text FIX to 646-891-4376, and you can get started within five minutes. It's super simple. Uh, We never need your social security number. We don't need your date of birth. Um, So you should feel very secure about that. And then if you also want to find us, you can find us on Facebook, eCredit Hero. We actually have a community forum. Um, There, like I said, are over 11,000 people and growing every day um, on that are kind of sharing credit tips and advice. So I highly uh, recommend people join us. And you can go to our website as well. Uh, ecredithero.com. But yeah, that's a little bit about what we do. All right, cool. So Nicole, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Looking forward to see how my credit score improves. Um, My first dispute has already been submitted. So I'm waiting to hear back about that. So I'll have an eCredit Hero success story as well. Awesome. Great. Thanks. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Again, you can find the episodes online on your podcast player of choice, or you can check us out at www.thatsopodcast.com. Feel free to follow us on various RSS feeds, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, you name it. Rate us, share us with your friends, thumbs up, give us hearts, you know, all of the social media metrics that show that you like us. And that's it. Talk to you next time.